Welcome to the Entrepreneur Escape Pod. I'm your host, Melissa Rittenhouse. Entrepreneur Escape Pod is for anyone interested in learning about the multitude of ways to create a career for yourself outside of a traditional nine to five, as well as anyone who is inspired to learn from others and take action towards their goals. In each episode, I interview a wide variety of people from entrepreneurs to artists to digital nomads so we can learn from them and expand our perspective on work in the digital age. I'll also share with you my thoughts on any newsworthy topics related to remote work, tech, digital entrepreneurship and more. If you're ready to feel inspired, let's dive into Entrepreneur Escape Pod. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of Entrepreneur Escape Pod. I'm your host, Melissa. In today's episode, I have Andrea Jones. She's a social media marketer and the host of the Savvy Social Podcast. And we dive into how she took her business from just being her as a freelancer into a full remote digital agency. We talk a lot about um, how to run a digital agency and run a remote workforce. And so we get into what that experience been like for her. How can you find the right people to hire? How do you know the best way to delegate all of the tasks? How can you build communication amongst a remote team? So we dive into all of that. And then we also talk a lot about content and what it takes to be a successful content creator as a business owner. Um, how can you tell which platform is the best for you? What's the advantages of each social media platform as well? well. So if you're someone who is looking to create content or learn about building a remote business, this is the episode for you. Hi, everyone. I'm here with Andrea Jones. She's a social media manager and the host of the Savvy Social Podcast. So hi, Andrea. Thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me on the show. Oh, yeah. I'm so excited to have you. Um, So I guess just to kick things off, just tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, your entrepreneurial background. What were you interested in when you were in school? And did you always kind of have this like entrepreneurial spirit? Yeah. So both of my parents are entrepreneurs and business owners. So I kind of got that experience growing up. Um, in university, I majored in English literature, which, you know, you can't really do anything else but study more literature. (laughs) So, uh, when I graduated, I actually worked in hospitality, um, for some spas in Atlanta and, um, eventually landed at the Marriott Marquis downtown massive hotel as one of the managers. And because I was one of the youngest managers on the team, they put me uh, on the social media team. So got my feet wet doing a lot of like on the ground practical marketing. This was 2012 when we only had Facebook and Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so I learned a lot from that experience. And in tandem to all of that, I, I had my blog since 2004. I was on YouTube since 2007. Um, and so I kind of had this natural affinity for social media. Um, fast forward a little bit, I actually met my husband on YouTube and moved from Atlanta to Toronto, Canada to be with him. And that's what kick-started my business. So I needed something where I could be location independent as I was sorting out, you know, like my citizenship situation. Um, And so I started the business, started freelancing, and just kind of grew it up from there. And now we have an agency, we have 15 team members, um, the podcast, as you mentioned, we have our Savvy Social School, our programming. So it's kind of just blossomed into this beautiful business. Nice. And um, I was going to ask you what inspired you to start working as a freelancer, but I guess it was moving from America to Canada. Um, and then um, 
yeah, I guess along those lines, like, was it, were you looking for another job at first or was it difficult because you were, you had to work out citizenship stuff and then sort of this opportunity just presented itself? Yeah. Before moving, I did look a lot into working in the same industry. I was like Marriott spa or Marriott hotels are everywhere. And I was the manager of the spa and the hotel. So I felt like I could probably just transfer to like a Marriott in Toronto or something. It's a lot harder (laughs) to do that. Um, And you have to have a very specific skill set to kind of like import labor. Canadian has some really, like they really protect their citizens in that way um, in Canada. So I didn't have a lot of prospects. Um, my husband had a great job at the time and he was like to work. And I was like, well, I want to contribute. This is like a new family. I don't want to just like start up with like mooching from him, you know? So um, I started freelancing and honestly, and writing blog posts because of my English literature background. I had a lot of experience in writing, but social media was one of those services that people need every single day. I was bumping into a lot of clients who were like, I don't get it. I don't like it. Um, I really just rather have someone else do it. And a product description, they only really need it one time and then it lives on the website. Social media, you need it every day. So I found a way to have a recurring business model, something that you know I didn't have to go out and find clients all the time. Um, so yeah, that, that's kind of how I landed on this business model. Nice. And what were you really focused on for like that first year of as a freelancer? Was it trying to just figure out things that worked or was it was there a specific like sticking to that model or uh, were you focused mostly on growth? Like what what would you say were you focused on at first? That first year was like crash and burn, trial and error. Let's try everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you know uh, Fiverr? Yeah. Fiverr.com. So that's what I used is Fiverr. Um, and then Odesk, it was called back in the day. It's now Upwork. Um, I would just look at what people were actually paying for and then try to do a service around that. So one of my most popular Fiverr gigs was I'm, I will write 10 Facebook posts for you for $5. Which, <laughs> you know, thinking back, I'm like, that's a lot of work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it worked. And then I would totally break the rules. And if they liked those 10 Facebook posts, I would say, do you want to keep working? Let's take this offline, which Fiverr does not like that's illegal. So don't do that. But mm-hmm. that's what I did at the time. Um, I would, you know, talk to clients offline and then we would like build a relationship from there. And it just kind of naturally progressed to that recurring business with the social media side and I stopped doing the rest because it wasn't recurring. Um, But it happened very organically with like the Fiverr gigs as the catalyst for everything. Yeah. And what was that process like taking your business from just yourself freelancing to a, a full agency? And was there a moment when you realized just like the growth, you could grow it to expand into an agency or was there a point where it was just, it was too much for just you? Oh, there was a turning point. I (laughs) clearly remember it because it was about a year after I started. So this was 2015. And my husband and I wanted to take a vacation. (laughs) And like I said, social media is repeatable. It happens every day. But that's also the bad thing. It happens every day. You kind of have to be available (laughs) for anything that could go wrong. So I 
desperately needed someone to help cover me while I was on vacation. And so that's when I really started looking at, okay, how can I bring in other people to help support me with this? So it just started off as a a contractor, an assistant who could help me write some captions and design some graphics and like post things and schedule things while I was on vacation. Um, And honestly, she's still with me today, Leanne. She was, she's a unicorn. Like I measure all my team members against her like she's like just the standard of excellence anyways um so I like after hiring her I was like oh this is great I'm gonna hire more people it was not that easy I feel like I spent the next four years like trying to build a team because it's really hard to work with people virtually and to have them like commit to like your business um and so that initial success I found in one person I've been trying to replicate ever since. And now we obviously have a really nice team and and a really nice size, but it was hard, man. Like some of the hardest things about this business is managing people. For the first positions you hired for, why were those roles very, the most important for you to fulfill at the time? And then um, I guess also, could you speak to some of the challenges you had hiring people, especially as a remote agency? Yeah. So the first role I hired was just someone to do what I was doing. So that was Leanne. And I think that was the the best and worst thing I did because she was writing captions, designing graphics, scheduling posts. It was just like an extra me, mm-hmm. <laughs> basically, so that we could both like tag team and do the work. The challenge was she has a very unique skill set and that's hard to replicate. So I would find someone who's great at captions, but they weren't good at like designing things in Canva, or I'd find someone who's great at design, but they weren't good at writing captions. And so I spent a long time trying to replicate like mini me's. And when I gave that idea up and started just hiring different skill sets was when things really started to blossom. So I started off with the copywriting because that's the thing that takes the most time and the most finessing. And so we hired people who could write captions. And then I hired a graphic designer. And around the same time, I also hired a video editor. Um, then I hired a marketing manager who helps manage the account managers So and, and the support staff. So I kind of started building it that way. Um, the key thing that I learned in that process is to have a clear company culture. So some of the bad or or poor fit hires that I hired early on just didn't fit our company culture, which I hadn't really defined. The reason why Leanne and I clicked so much is because there was an unspoken like agreement about how we wanted to work, how we wanted to respect each other. And so once I started solidifying that, like literally writing down like one of our um one of our values is positivity. So literally writing that down, if I have someone come in and they're like a negative Nancy, it's not going to work. Like, <laughs> it's just they're not going to fit. Um, or one of our values is integrity. So because we handle so much sensitive information for our clients, we want to make sure that we have that high level of integrity. So I've had people who come in before and try to use social media marketing strategies that aren't founded in integrity, things like purchasing followers or doing follow and follow. Like we don't do that in our agency. So, you know, having those clearly written down, it's in our job postings now as well. Like this is what we stand for. This is our approach really helped us find the right people um, and build out kind of a team that is cohesive instead of having, you know, random people here and there doing random tasks. Um, And even our you know, very part-time contractors, 
come to our regular weekly team meetings. They're in our Slack channels. They're in our Asana because we want to have this uh, spirit of collaboration. And that's super important with what we're doing because social media moves very quickly. It's very hard to have an SOP. Like Instagram just looks different even last week than it did, than it did to this week. Yeah. So we need people who um, are ready to like, dive in and learn on the go and kind of like be flexible with us. So yeah, like making sure those are clearly outlined in the job posting and then looking for those in the interview process really helped us find the right people. Nice. Um, And I guess, do you have any tips for maybe someone who is on the other side who's looking for a job? If they're not sure if the company is right for them, what can they do in the interview process to really figure that out? Yeah. So um, there's been this like uprising in CEO personal brands, which is great for those of you looking for job opportunities. So look at the CEO, look at their personal brand on LinkedIn or wherever the case may be and see if you resonate with what they say, their values, how do they live their life. And if it's something that you're like, yeah, I could work for a company that stands for these things, then yes, go ahead and you know apply. And you, you can maybe even speak to that in the cover letter or in the application process. Um, so I think the rise of like these personal brands with the CEO or the executive teams is really helpful for job seekers to kind of get a get a little taste a little preview of what it's like to work there nice and then I guess the the reverse of that is if you're someone who's hiring especially when someone's maybe trying to present a certain way in order to land the job how can you tell what kind of cues do you pick up on if you feel like someone is the right fit for the job yes so our hiring process is like super extended. It feels long to me, but it's there to check off certain things because I'm that like rose-colored glasses kind of person. I look at everything as great and flowery and positive. So I need to have this system in place to hire the right people and not just hire someone because I like them. Um, so the first thing is I have someone help me with this hiring process. So having a second person is really helpful. Um, we do a 15-minute um, initial interview, and this is really just to make sure people show up and do what they say they're going to do. Because we're completely virtual, it's so easy for our team to just like close their computer and disappear forever. So we need people who like, we ask them what time is good for them. And then if we call them or if there's a Zoom call, they have to show up. Um, and so that's the first kind of check mark. Then we do an, a skills assessment depending on the role. So that will eliminate the need to ask those questions on an interview. So we need kind of know what their skills are. Um, and then the initial interview or the second interview is about 45 minutes to an hour. And we're really asking questions based on our values. So communication, positivity, integrity, um, commitment, like these are things that are our company values. So if I'm going to ask, if I'm going to ask someone, you know, instead of saying like, what is your experience with Instagram? I would say, you know, if you accidentally posted the wrong post to the wrong client's Instagram account, how would you handle that situation? So I want to see that positive communication. I want to see that fierce integrity. You know, if they say, oh, I would quickly take it down and like repost it and never say a thing. I'm like, hmm, well, we need we need communication. So, you know, that may be a little bit of a, a yellow flag for me or if they say, you know, I would communicate to this client or to my direct report, and then I would do this, like that really shows our company values. So really leaning into those values and having that guide the interview process will really help you find the right people. Um, and I'll end with this, like there is this little bit of um, 
there's like a, what is it? The je ne sais quoi. Like there's something about people when you meet them and you talk to them, like looking for that energy in the interview is really important. Like, will this person's energy match the rest of the team? Because we also have had people who check off every box, but there's something at the end where we go, this may not be a good fit. Like listen to that gut feeling um, and have that second opinion there to help you suss out why that may be. Right. Yeah, for sure. I've had like, have you ever had a client or sorry, not a client, um, someone you hired, uh, maybe once they started working, you have that gut feeling of like, oh, maybe this wasn't the right fit. Or have they had that feeling vice versa? Because I think that's something that people maybe fear a little bit is like once they're already in, they'll feel like, oh, no, like once they've committed, they'll have that feeling of like, oh, this isn't the right fit. How do you handle a situation like that? Yeah. One of my mentors told me to hire slowly and fire quickly. And so that is the mantra that I live by. It takes a long time to hire someone, but we actually just recently had an experience where we knew week one, it wasn't going to be a good fit. We gave her two more weeks. And at the end of the third week, we said, you know what? This isn't a good fit because we can't, there's only so much that we can train and coach and personality and kind of like energy isn't one of those things we can teach someone. Um, so yeah, it's it's hard. It's never fun. It's the worst part to me about working with people is having to say goodbye to them. But at the end of the day, it's making space for a better fit team member. And there are a lot of amazing people out there in the world. So it's just about finding them. Yeah, for sure. And then um, since your agency is 100% remote and digital, um, what are some tips you have for building trust and communication with your team members? Yeah. So we have our weekly team meeting, which is relatively new. Like we used to. So the challenge I was running into is everyone would report to me. And after about 10 people, that's like a lot of people to manage. So we started creating the hierarchy, but then I felt like I wasn't talking to certain people or ever seeing them. So we created a weekly team meeting. It's 30 minutes long. We start every meeting with just like random questions. We one time spent 10 minutes talking about ramen noodles and how we like to eat them. Like it's just a way to connect Mm -hmm. with the people who we've been virtually talking with all week. We give kind of higher level company updates. We talk about our clients and our students and what's going on with them um, and leave space for any comments or questions from the team. So that really helped unify us as a team so that everyone better understood their role. Um, And then we also use Slack. So we have um, a Slack channel for every client for all of our programs. And so we keep that communication going during during the week. And again, one of our company values is communication. So we over communicate a lot because we're virtual. So there is no, you know, like bumping into someone at the water cooler and, you know, going, hey, did you see what happened to this client? Like that doesn't happen. So we have to create it. Mm -hmm. Um, So our marketing manager will literally have random posts where, you know, she'll say something like, "Um, so Better Call Saul just ended this this year. You know, what did y'all think about the season series finale? Like just questions that you would ask someone if you bumped into them at the water cooler. So we create those scenarios and it felt super cheesy at first. I will say that like 
the it it was hard to warm up to it but now it's like we look forward to that and everyone else kind of participates and we have some really vibrant conversations and it unifies us as a team um because prior to both the weekly team meetings and slack it was like we only talked to people when we needed something like hey can you do this can you do that um or hey fix this fix that and it it's not the vibe that we want here so having those seemingly random conversations makes for a better company culture. Definitely. And do you feel like it makes your employees maybe feel more comfortable going to their higher ups if they need help with something? Because I think sometimes people who maybe if they don't communicate, I know like in my experience as an employee, sometimes it's like you're nervous to admit like, hey, I made a mistake or, you know, and when I think, I think also that could be one of the challenges maybe being remote is like you almost don't if you don't have that communication it could be harder to go to someone and say like hey I screwed something up you know yeah exactly it's like it's relationship building basically like any relationship friend romantic like family you you have to kind of have that trust in the other person to be vulnerable with them because it is very vulnerable to go to someone and say hey I you know I accidentally posted the wrong thing to the wrong client help or um, you know, you know, I need some, I'm, I'm doing this for the first time. I need some feedback or even we have, you know, very open feedback loop. So it goes both ways. It's not just the managers giving the support staff feedback. It works both ways. So to, to have that communication requires a high level of trust and a high level of openness. So yes, I think it really helps to foster that within our, within our virtual workspace. Nice. And um, what are some ways that you see the the rise of remote work um, impacting people's choices and feelings about work in general? I think it's great. As someone who has worked from home for the past eight plus years, I love it. I was using Zoom way before it was cool. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I think it's great. You know, I think it opens up so many opportunities. A lot of our staff has families, young families, kids at home. You know, I have a four-month-old baby. I would not be able to do this work if I had to commute or, you know, go into an office or something like that. So I think it really does open up the possibility to get high-quality, talented people without having to sacrifice and have the office space. So you could literally work with anyone now. I, you know, I have team members, you know, I'm in Canada. A lot of my team is in the U.S. and in Canada, but I also have uh, employees in the Philippines. I have contractors in South Africa and Nigeria. And so it opens it up to, to the, the number of people you can work to. So you can really hire the best person for the job and you're not limited by whoever is closest to you. Right. Mm-hmm. So no longer, you know, the best jobs aren't, aren't always in New York or LA. Like you don't have to live in New York or LA to have the best jobs or live in Silicon Valley to work for a tech company. You could be anywhere, which is great. Yeah, I agree. I think it's great as well. Um, yeah, because it has so much more flexibility because I know I hear a lot of I talked to a lot of women, too, who have kids and then began working remote. And a lot of the big thing that inspired them was like it was just too hard to commute and take care of more, two kids, you know. And I feel like um, I mean, up until like this kind of rise of remote work. Um, I don't know. I feel like people kind of like brushed aside the commute and things like that. But I feel like that really impacted how people felt about work a lot. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that's one of the only good things that came from like a global shutdown, (laughs) you know, it's like, 
we forced this situation for a lot of people that I hope will continue for a lot of people. I know my sister-in-law, for instance, her job is now completely remote. They have to go into the office once a month and it's really just like showing face and the rest of the time she gets to work from home. Um, So I think that it is such a a great opportunity for a lot of people and, and allows for that flexibility and you know, as a side note, I love having my own toilet, so I don't have to share with anybody, <laughs> so it feels good. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, well, and I want to kind of jump in and talk about uh, content and social media for a little bit because I feel like it is things like social media that sort of have led to, have in part led to the rise of remote work because there's so much you can do online now as well and like build careers around uh, internet-based businesses. Um, so I guess in your agency, I wanted to ask you, like, what are some of the struggles that you see a lot of your clients who are mostly business owners? What struggles do they have with social media primarily? Yeah, a lot of people don't like it. And they feel, <laughs> listen, they say they don't like it and then they feel bad. Like they should like it, you yeah. know, like, because it seems like everyone's out here having a good time and like posting all this great stuff. I um, mean, a lot of my clients are brilliant people, but then they go, how do I get this on Instagram stories? <laughs> yeah. I don't have time to be trying to figure this out. So, um, you know, a lot of them are thought leaders, speakers, coaches, experts in their field, and they don't want to have to fiddle around with, you know, the technical side of social media. So what we do in the agency is we take their IP, their expertise, and we just translate it into social media-friendly content. So we're creating carousels on Instagram. We're editing TikToks for them. We're writing you know, LinkedIn newsletters. We're helping them share their message to a larger audience. Um, and so they come to us with this, these powerful messages, and then we're able to kind of replicate that for social media. Because y'all, it is, it is hard. Like I, I know a lot of people make it seem easy and, you know, so some people have an affinity for it, but most of my clients and students are like, hey, hello, like, how do I even get to Instagram stories? So, <laughs> yeah, definitely. I, I do think one of the biggest misconceptions is that creating content is fast and it's are easy. And I think it may be come it may be a little easy to some people, but I don't think it's even people who are professional content creators. I don't think it's a fast process. <laughs> it's no. it's it's definitely a lot more work than people think it is. For sure. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like one of the um, videos I did for my students and my clients is I recorded myself making a TikTok. The TikTok itself is about 30 seconds, but it took me about eight minutes to make it. And so I think sometimes people think, oh, 30 second video took you 30 seconds. And I'm like, no, like in the video, I start and stop. And I'm like, okay, start and stop. Okay. Where do I, how do I add this text? You know? And it's like, we all, it's a very human experience. We all experience it. And so if I can normalize that for people, then I've done my job. Yeah. And I feel like, too, if you're a girl, it's like the extra pressure of like, make sure your makeup looks good before you film yourself. And that takes time, too. And yeah, all of it, all of it. And I like seriously, I have a uniform because I don't want to be bothered with like changing my shirt. Like some people like change their outfits for the videos. I'm like, no, most of my videos, I'm wearing the same thing. It's fine. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like the thing that takes the longest is all the editing tricks. So if you have like a highly edited video, sometimes those can take like hours to put together because you have to like film a bunch of different shots and then edit it all together. And like, it just, it's a lot of work. Um, 
I guess what would you say too is like what would you say is the difference between someone who is posting as a business owner or like a business account posting and someone who is looking to build an audience either to become an influencer or work as a content creator in some kind of way. So I guess it's essentially the difference is like someone who already has an established business and someone who just wants to build an audience but isn't sure how they want to monetize that at this at that point. Yeah. You know, I mostly work with people who have an established business. So I'll talk a little bit about that first because you don't need a, a large audience. Um, you just need a, um, a a committed audience. The quality of the audience is way more impactful. So as you're creating content, it's the, to attract that, that audience. So for instance, I work with an accountant. He likes to create lots of videos and reels. He works with you know small to medium-sized businesses in Atlanta, Georgia. So he doesn't need a hundred thousand followers, you know, like Mm -hmm. he only can work with, you know, maybe, maybe let's say 50 businesses at any given time. I'm making up a number. Um, So he doesn't need that large of an audience. He just needs the 50 clients. So he's working towards that metric rather than the audience. Whereas when you're an influencer or a content creator, your whole goal is to build up a large audience. So the type of content that you're creating may have more of a mass appeal and may have more of a general um, topic than something super specific. Um, A lot of times when you're an influencer or a content creator, you're getting paid by the number of views, by the number of clicks. Um, by the number of followers you have, by the level of engagement. So all of those metrics are super important. Um, So it's just a different approach to creating the content. The accountant is probably going to be very specific about small business challenges as related to accounting. Whereas a content creator, even if they're in the finance space, may talk about budgeting over here, may talk about student loans over here, may talk about their grocery list over here. You know, it's things that are a little bit more... um, consumable by the average person. Nice. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, And then what types of content should entrepreneurs be sharing on social media? Yeah. So when we think about content, I like to think about it with the goal of the content in mind. And there are two primary goals. The first is conversion. So this is where we want someone to look at our content and then take an action, whether that be listen to a podcast episode, read a blog post, or even sign up for a discovery call by this course, right? So we're converting them into an action. But that's only one-fourth of or one-fifth of the type of content that I suggest thinking about posting. So conversion-focused content, it's great, but we want to balance it out with connection content. So that, that type of content where it really resonates with the person, they build a trust with you. So then when that conversion content pops up, they feel like you understand them, you hear them, you know them. So um, there's a number of different types of content that can be conversion or or, or connection focused, Um, educational content, engaging content, entertaining content, you know, all of these things where the person goes, oh, this person is an expert in their space and they truly understand the problems that I'm solving. So um, really approaching it from those two goals in mind will help you craft a very balanced approach to social media. And hopefully you don't feel the need to post for the sake of posting. So you're really asking yourself, is the intention of this post to convert or connect? And if it's not, then you may want to you know, save it for your personal account or something like that. 
Okay. Um, what would you say, like, what's the difference between, what is an example, I guess, of something that connects? Is that also, I guess you listed some, but would some of that be kind of sharing things on a more personal level or would that be something that you would reserve for like your personal account? I mean, it, it depends on your brand. So some of my clients feel um, like, so let me back up and say your social media should be a reflection of your business. So it should mirror each other. So if someone's going to like book a consult call and you're the one answering the call, you're the one delivering the service, then we want to see you on social media. So we want to see your face. We want to see the people that we're working with, right? But if your business is less personalized, then we may not need a personal approach. So it really just depends on what it's like for for people to interact with your business. So starting there is great. And then you can decide how far you want to go with it. My suggestion is to always tie it back into the business. So an example would be in my business, if I'm going on vacation or something, um, I'm not usually going to just post like, oh, I'm in Hawaii. Like I, I wouldn't just post that. But when I come back, I may write a post about taking an intentional social media break. And here's how I prepared for my vacation. And I may use a photo of Hawaii, but I'm talking about my topic, which is social media. So I'm tying it back in. And maybe I'm asking a question. When's the last time you took a break from social media? Um, So I think that there's a way to leverage personal brand aspects um, without having it to be a personal brand itself. And you can decide what this is. So Um, an example for me is I don't post my daughter on social media. Um, I posted like one or two pictures and was like, "Eh, I don't really like this. So I may talk a lot about motherhood and, you know, being a working mom, but I'm not going to post a photo of her because that's my personal boundary. So there's that balance between personal boundaries. I want to tie it back into my business and I still want to connect with someone and say, Hey, like I've lived this life too, or I fully understand what you're going through and here's how I can help. Nice. I love that. Cause I think one thing that does scare people with social media is they feel uncomfortable putting themselves out there like that. And so I think what you were saying of just focusing on the message and you could tie personal things, but you don't have to be so personal is a good way for people to not be so uncomfortable with posting about themselves. Yeah. And it does feel very vulnerable. Like I, like I've been doing this for a long time and I used to share way more than I do now. Um, like I said, that's how I met my husband. I was just like (laughs) vlogging my life and we collaborated on a video together. Um, and so I have changed my mind on this over time. And I think that's where the personal, like where, what, like what you're personally comfortable with comes into play. I used to share everything. And now I just share just a small fraction of my life. And I think it really is up to you. Um, but again, as a business owner, we do want to try it to tie it back into the business because that's super important for making sure you're using social media as a total grow your business and not as influencers do, which is just mass appeal. Nice. Um, I guess let's dive into engagement a little bit. Um, what content do you think works for best for each platform? And should you aim for a specific type of engagement over others, such as like comments, likes, saves, things like that? Yeah. <laughs> so it does depend on the platform. So TikTok, for instance, um, and YouTube, we're looking for consumption. So we want people to watch the whole video. Um, So that's a really good signal to the algorithm that it's an interesting topic and they're going to show it to more people. 
Um, that idea still works for platforms like Instagram and LinkedIn, where attention is the currency. So however people are paying attention to our posts, that's a signal to the algorithm to show it to more people. On Instagram, that also means shares and saves. It could mean likes and comments, um, but but it's really how long someone spends on a post, right? So um, the more time someone spends with your content, the more the algorithm likes it, which is why features like Instagram reels are performing so well because it takes longer to consume a reel than it does to look at a photo. Um, so you want to think about that attention piece and how long are people interacting with your your content. And then I will say this as well. A lot of the platforms love um, community. So if people are driving traffic to your post, so let's say they shared your post somewhere else and you have traffic coming into that post, that works really well. And then if people are commenting with each other, so it's not just they're commenting to you, but two other people, two other members of your community are engaging with each other. Those are really great signals for the algorithm and will help your post get seen even more. Nice. And I, I kind of like to think of content too as kind of being like streaming from either like written content or video content. Then you could sort of like optimize it across all kinds of platforms. I don't I don't know if you see it differently, but um, I was going to say like, how do people choose, how would you advise someone to choose the best platforms to focus on and um, what are like one or two things? I was going to name some social media platforms. And you could just tell me what you think they are like one or two things they're the best for. <laughs> oh, okay. I love this. So so first of all, I do like to lean into preference-based marketing. Mm -hmm. So preference-based marketing is choosing the marketing that you're actually going to do because it's your preference. So an example is I love video. I love audio. That's why I like doing things like this. If you asked me to write a blog post, it would take me three months to write mm -hmm. it. If you asked me to record a podcast, I'd do it tomorrow. Yeah. So that's my preference. So when I'm looking at platforms, I lean into my preference that way. Um, if I say, for instance, you got to be on LinkedIn and then you log in and you go, I don't like it here. Even if it's the best platform, even if I say it's the best, if you don't like it, you're not going to use it. <laughs> so it really is your preference. And then from there, you know, there are certain things like if you're uh, B2B marketing to other business owners, LinkedIn is great. Um, if you're marketing to Gen Z, um, TikTok is fabulous. If you like to talk about politics or social conversations, Twitter is wonderful. Um, so there are certain platforms that do have their, you know, a larger group of people, but a lot of the platforms, there are segments that are for everyone. We have a client whose target demographic is boomers doing fantastic on TikTok. There is a group of people and the algorithm on TikTok is wonderful, will help you find that your group of people. So um, you can make it work on any of the main platforms. Nice. I like that idea because I definitely think if you don't like creating that type of content, you're going to do it less for sure. Um, but yeah, I guess like to name the platforms, like um, what are like one or two things from I, the ones I had listed are TikTok, we could start with that and then Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, and LinkedIn. So like, I guess let's just start with TikTok. What do you think the one or two things that it's like the best for? Yes, it's really great for that. Like I feel seen type of content. So, you know, if someone's scrolling, they watch a video and they're like, you know, the put a finger down challenge, like put a finger down if you're a 32-year-old mom of a four-month-old living in Niagara, Canada, like that mm -hmm. specific. Like if you like that type of content or if you create that ty type of content, 
TikTok will help you find your people. It's like a magical, magical thing. So if if you are in that vein, I think it's great. Um, also, the type of content that is super generous. Um, so you're giving away a lot of information. Um, what doesn't work well in TikTok is if you just say, um, I have a new course, come and buy it. It's like, that's not really the platform for that. Yeah. How about Instagram? Because I feel like a lot of people are saying nowadays, like Instagram's trying to be TikTok, but how how would you say it's different? Yeah. Instagram is trying to be TikTok. <laughs> They're trying to be everything. Yeah. Um, Instagram is different in that more people ha- have been using it for longer, especially in the online business space. So where a trend may start on TikTok, a lot of it uh, trends get their legs on Instagram. So they really kind of develop. Tic- um, Instagram to me has a, a larger audience as well. I think that that the audience is also more primed to buy. It's very natural on Instagram to go click the link in someone's bio, for instance. It's not really a natural move on TikTok. So on Instagram, where you can post reels and things, you can also post some static content, mix in that conversion content to help people actually take action on the things that you're asking them to do. Um, Instagram also has like seven different ways to post. It's a lot. So... (laughs) You've got the feed, you've got static and reels, you've got stories, you have guides. So if you like to take that varied approach to creating content, there's a lot of avenues and a lot of ways to create content on Instagram. Nice. How about YouTube? YouTube is great for like long form evergreen content. So especially those of you who are educators or entertainers, um, YouTube is great for that. And and remember that YouTube is a search engine. So you want to create the type of content that people are searching for, especially as a business owner. So those how-to videos, tutorials, product reviews, things like that do really great on YouTube. And again, it's it's evergreen. It's, It's long form. So it lives a long time and you can actually create longer content pieces. And it's very natural for someone to go to YouTube and watch a 10-minute video. Whereas on Instagram, 10-minute videos, the drop-off point is after about 90 seconds, people keep scrolling because that's not how people use the platform. So um, you have more room to create longer pieces of content that live a lot longer. I mean, YouTube is great because... I have a video today that's still getting views, still getting people downloading things that I posted three years ago. It's one of my most popular videos. It's about like a little Canva tutorial, how to use Canva. And um, it still works great today. So YouTube is great in the sense that you're creating an asset that lasts much longer versus an Instagram post that maybe will last 24 hours. (laughs) Yeah. I've heard some YouTube creators say that too, that because of the search aspect as well, that people continue to find them even from videos that they created years ago. Because especially if you're giving advice, like how to do this, how to do that, because people search those things. Um, And then the last two I had were like, um, I think sometimes a little overlooked is Twitter. Um, do you, who, what would you say like the one or two advantages of using Twitter as a business owner? Yeah. Twitter is very much about, um, conversation. Mm -hmm. So if you like, I have a few clients in the DEI space, it's all about, you know, equity, inclusion, diversity. They're having political, social, economic conversations. Twitter is perfect for that. Um, 
um, anyone in the tech startup space, you know, if you're thinking about tech companies or SaaS companies, um, they're all on Twitter. They're all, you know, posting their journey. Twitter, I think, is a lot more approachable. You don't have to have videos or graphics. It's really a, a text-based platform. And also, Twitter is very approachable if you want to connect with someone. So if you want to connect with journalists or um, writers or get featured on a podcast, like it's very easy to tweet at someone or DM them. It's kind of the the culture of the platform. So um, conversation is what I would say is great about Twitter. Nice. And then last but not least is LinkedIn, which is one I feel like, I don't know, I, I think it's in my personal experience, surprised me a lot because I d- would, I kind of overlooked it. And then I started posting on it uh, every now and then. And I'd be kind of surprised that like, oh, wow, I actually feel like <laughs> this gets uh, a lot, you know, like sometimes they would get a lot of views and stuff. And I'm like, oh, maybe I shouldn't sleep on this. <laughs> yeah, it's so. super underrated. <laughs> yeah. To me, um, LinkedIn kind of feels like Facebook did when it first started in that and I can say this as a marketer. It's like marketers haven't really ruined it yet. <laughs> you know, like it still feels a little more organic. So LinkedIn is great because it's a professional environment. Um, people are there either working or, you know, trying to become a thought leader. So the energy is a little bit more professional, but you can still bring fun. You can still be, bring that element of community. And what I like about LinkedIn is a lot of folks are on there as their individual selves. Um, and so you really have this, um, kind of like personal touch to a lot of the LinkedIn accounts. And it's a little bit different from a Twitter or an Instagram, which some people use as their brands or their companies. LinkedIn really feels like you're getting to know the owner behind the company. Um, and uh, similar to Twitter in that it's very approachable. You know, you can follow the people that, you know, are really the decision makers in companies. If you do anything with other businesses, any B2B services, products, you should probably look at LinkedIn and consider it as an option because there are a lot of people kind of networking and engaging on that platform. Nice. Um, And one other question, how do you know that your social media strategies are working? Um, Is it just on views and engagement or conversions? Do you have like a specific metric that you look at? I mean, the metric that I like everyone to look at is conversions. Like it yeah. should be growing your business. If if social media isn't enhancing your business in some way, then you don't need to be on it and look at other... There's other ways to grow your business. So there's other marketing tools in the toolbox. This mm-hmm. is just one. Um, which is why I often recommend limiting the time that you spend on the platforms because the number the, the amount of hours you spend doesn't equal the amount of success you'll have on social media. Um, so success metrics... Outside of conversions, we're looking at website visits. So if you're talking about something like go listen to my podcast or go book a discovery call, are people actually doing that? Um, and then a step before that are what I call success indicators or indicator of interest. So on Instagram, if you're saying go click the link in my bio, are people actually taking the first step to even go to your profile? if they're not doing that and there's something about your post that's missing, or if they go to your profile and they're not clicking the link in the bio, like what's stopping them at that stage? So it's kind of looking at some of those metrics along the way. And then the last one I really like is impact. So how many people are you reaching? How many impressions are you getting with your content? If you have a ton of reach and impressions and no conversions, those aren't the right people. 
But if you have a ton of reach and impressions and you see people following you, commenting and converting, then those are your people. Okay, nice. And then um, how would you say someone can create content that's authentic or maybe incorporates their interests, but that still is within their niche? Um, I guess like, sorry, an example of that is like, kind of if you have like a something you personally like to do or like, um, okay, like if you're page is about social media growth, but you like, you love to exercise or you love to like go to this restaurant or you love this TV show. Are there ways to like incorporate that and be authentic in that way without it being confusing to your audience or to outside your niche? Yes. I love this (laughs) because I think that's actually the way to be authentic on social media is find the verticals that aren't really related to what you do, but are relatable. So an example for me is I I'm obsessed with RuPaul's Drag Race. I don't know why I watch every season, the spinoff seasons. I listen listen to podcasts about the show. It's it's a little much. I love it. And so if I'm going to use an analogy, um, I recently created a video that was talking about, you know, you got to be memorable. You almost have to have like a catchphrase to what you do. So if I say the library is what open, like people know that from RuPaul's Drag Race because it's said every single season, right? So what's something about what you do that you say consistently in your post? So I'm going to use that as an analogy. Um, And it helps me connect with people because then I like if someone says, oh, I love RuPaul, I'm DMing them and going, what did you think about All Star Season 7? You know, like building a relationship with them. So there are definitely ways that you can use that. Analogies is the best way to do this. Um, So if you're into fitness and you're an accountant, you're probably going to talk about you know, having a regular fitness regimen is helpful to build muscle, just like regularly checking your QuickBooks will help (laughs) you, you know, speed things along or whatever the case may be. Um, So kind of using that in your post will really help connect you to your audience. Nice. Well, thanks so much for joining me today. Those were all the questions that I had for you, but I just wanted to leave it to you for any final thoughts and then let people know where they could find you as well. Yes. So um, I'm everywhere online at online Drea. That's online D-R-E-A. And um, listen to the podcast. It's the Savvy Social Podcast. We have a lot of interesting conversations with guests. I also host solo episodes all about helping keep social media simple and easy and fun while also being strategic along the way. Nice. Well, I'll include a link to all your socials and your podcast in the description for this podcast as well. Um, And yeah, thanks again for joining me. Thanks so much for having me on the show. Of course. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Entrepreneur Escape Pod. You can find me online at Melissa underscore Rittenhouse on Instagram and TikTok. And don't forget to like and subscribe on Apple and Spotify. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Entrepreneur Escape Pod. Don't forget to check in with us next week for an all new episode. For more information on our guest, please go to the podcast description of this episode. Also, don't forget to check out clips and updates on our next guest on our Instagram at Entrepreneur Escape Pod. You can also find me on Instagram and TikTok at Melissa underscore Rittenhouse and check out my website at MelissaRittenhouse.co. Thanks and see you next week.